in case anyone was wondering how much of my sanity I sacrificed for this episode, you know how on your photos app on iPhones, it has like little icons of people that show up in a lot of your pictures. The amount of screen recordings and screenshots of Andrew Tay I have in my phone from research for this episode is so much that Andrew Tay is now listed as a person in my phone. And for that sacrifice, I feel I deserve compensation. Enjoy the episode. Prepare to turn right. Hey guys, welcome to episode 10 of Prepare to Turn Right. This episode has definitely been a long time coming. I've been meaning to get this done for a few weeks now, but there's just, when you think of Andrew Tate and this whole like chaos that is going on with him constantly, there's so much content and there's just so much out there that it's really just overwhelming and it was just overwhelming to try to even begin to decide how to make an episode like this. I'm still not quite sure how this is going to turn out, but I think it's incredibly important and obviously we're going to get into the reasons why it's important beyond just discussing the things that he said and the things he represents which in case you haven't um, discovered by now, I do not like Andrew Tate. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about everything that has to do with Andrew Tate and this whole red pill manosphere movement, everything. So I was thinking of the best way to start this. And then I was on Twitter, as usual, and I saw this Twitter thread and I thought it just so brilliantly encapsulated the problem with these new movements, the problem not only with feminism, the problem with this new right wing, like alt-right weird like red pill manosphere situation that's going on. And just really encapsulated what is so harmful about this kind of thinking. So I'm going to start by reading this thread and... I think we're going to use that as a jumping off point and a reference point really for the rest of this episode because there's a lot of things that I think ultimately tie back to this idea which we're going to explore a little bit now and then return to later hopefully as we move on through this episode. So I'm going to read this thread. Okay and I realize I'm going to sound like a feminist a lot in this episode because there's this unfortunate discourse online which I think... Um, if you know who Ashley St. Clair is, she really, really spoke about this in a very succinct and I think accurate way um, when she did an interview with Liz Wheeler the other week. And this idea that you can't talk about women's issues or you're a feminist, right? Because I think because, and I've talked about this in past episodes, this idea of the political ramifications and the social ramifications of exaggerating, which is such a fascinating idea to explore. But the idea that when something has been exaggerated so much, sometimes, I mean, we talked about different aspects of this, but one thing that I think is relevant to what we're talking about now is sometimes you think you can't talk about an issue at all because you're afraid that you're going to be characterized as you know one of these people who like make it extreme you know you think you can't talk about women's issues because you're going to be called a feminist and the notion that you can't talk about things that pertain to women or you're a feminist 
is wrong because of course there are still women specific issues just like there are male specific issues so I just think that's a little bit of a faulty point but if I sound like a feminist it's just because we've been so warped by this idea by the we've been so warped by real feminists by real radical third and fourth wave feminists who have made everything about feminism and made everything about you know women's oppression that when we talk about things in an actual rational logical manner they get called feminists so if I sound feminist that's because of the way our brains have been you know our our conservative ways of thinking have been warped into thinking that anything that is women-centered automatically is feminist you know so I just want to put that out there but now I'm going to read this tweet so this is from um, an account called going godward it's definitely a christian account and it's definitely christian ideas but i i obviously i'm not a christian and i think these ideas are still really fascinating to consider and can be taken outside the context of christianity and still apply in a more cultural sense or in you know any major religion but okay so we're going to just read this here so it says when men are critical of women's feminine sensibilities making them seem silly or lacking value it will usually cause one or both of these internal responses in women She will feel shame about her feminine nature, or she will take on masculine traits to be accepted. And when she adapts so she can be taken seriously, she's rebuked for being too harsh or cold and for acting too masculine. There seems to be a revert to muscular Christianity as the pendulum swings away from any effects of women being the majority of churchgoers in the last century. And it requires rhetoric that dismisses women as useful when revealing anything about the character of God. Feminine sensibilities appear to be the barrier for some to return to, to, to return the church to her former glory. I wonder how women will react to their sensibilities being pathologized. It's a great way of describing it. I predict it will be with one of the two aforementioned responses. To be sure, I'm not an advocate of women having authoritative roles in the church, especially as elder or pastor. I'm only concerned with the attitude that women's imaging of God's character and their feminine sensibilities have no place in the new Christendom. Not no place, but hidden away at home. That's such a fantastic way of encapsulating this whole movement and encapsulating what is so irksome and what is so frustrating about it. So let's kind of break this idea down a little bit. Okay, so essentially what she's saying is that because the pendulum has swung so far in one direction, because we're so obsessed with, you know, feminism and women being able to do anything a man can do. And of course, I mean, in theory, that's true, but meaning from a values perspective, thinking that women and men are indistinguishable. Now she's saying what we're seeing, essentially, she's putting it in a Christian context, but I think it can be extrapolated to a cultural and social context in general, um, irrespective of any religion in specific. But now we're seeing this swing where people, as a response to this, to these progressive movements that, you know, don't understand the God-given or the natural, depending on where you're coming from roles of men and women and why they're beautiful and why they work we now kind of see and I'm kind of extrapolating from what she said a little bit we're kind of seeing this opposite pull where people are saying no this is you know the role women are meant to play and of course that is true but what they start to do either intentionally or unintentionally on you know this way of thinking or on whatever corner of the internet I'm going to be referring to later 
is they start to a little bit, again, either intentionally or unintentionally, devalue what women bring to, you know, what they bring in as a reflection of God, you know, as image bearers, right? And I get it, I'm kind of bringing it a little bit more religious now, but I guess really what I saw when I, what I thought of when I saw this tweet was this can be applied in so many contexts and it's so accurate, you know, because we're so sick of, I'm just going to take it more general now and extrapolate. We're so sick of this culture where women can do no wrong and everything is just so feminized and women are just in control of everything because let's be real. That's unfortunately the culture we're living in today with the believe all women, women can do no wrong, worshiping women, you know? So I guess that happened in a way in the, in the church, in a sense, certain parts, I'm not here to speak to that, but in the culture in general. And what happened was people got frustrated. And instead of saying, look, this is a beautiful role that women can play. We just have to, you know, bring it back to the center and, and be reasonable about this and value women and men's unique contributions to society and culture and religion. And instead, we've some people have started to simply devalue women in general, right? In a bunch of different senses. And things that are considered feminine are then kind of made fun of a little bit, you know? We saw it, we see, we see it in a lot of different areas, I think. You know, we want, essentially, we wanted women to be more feminine and to embrace that natural role as conservatives and as religious people, a lot of us. But what we ended up doing was instead when we got kind of what we want, I mean, not we, cause I'm not including myself in this. And I think most conservatives did not fall, fall into this trap, but people in this corner of the internet that we're going to be talking about in a minute, kind of just chalked up femininity to being silly and not being important and valuable because they're so sick of being devalued themselves. Right. So now pink women liking pretty things and liking pink and you know being emotional which is those are all beautiful great natural important things those are important instead of recognizing that because we're so frustrated with how feminized and how you know uber feminist the culture has become we've these people have now as this this coming back to full circle to what this tweet was saying have now decided that you know, femininity is just silly and not important because they're so frustrated with the culture. So I'm just going to, I think, read one part of that tweet. There was one part of the tweet that just was really what got it for me. I'm going to repeat that. When men are critical of women's feminine sensibilities, making them seem silly or lacking value, and then she explains, you know, the repercussions of that, which are kind of not really what we're talking about today because we're more talking about entertain and talking about this movement not repercussions on women as much but um basically what we're getting here is this another quote from this tweet feminine sensibilities appear to be the barrier for some to return the church to her former glory meaning applying that to a cultural context femininity is now instead of being seen as this beautiful thing because it has been so taken to an extreme now it's being seen by some and viewed by some because of how disenfranchised they feel with the culture as this barrier, as this bad thing. Instead of something when, you know, used in the right way, 
These feminine traits are beautiful and necessary and just as important as masculine traits. But unfortunately, a lot of people on the internet, I don't know how, how a lot, I don't know exactly how large of a community I can speak, speak for, but it's definitely a movement. And it's just so fascinating to think of that origin in the way that she phrased it. I thought that was just brilliant. So I just thought I would bring that up. Okay. Now we're going to get into the episode. Not talking about Andrew Tate yet. We're going to start by talking about the rise of this movement of which Andrew Tate is a part. So that would be called the Red Pill Manosphere. If you have not heard of this, if you have not found this corner of the internet yet, if you've been oblivious to this, I envy you. Truly, I envy you because it's so frustrating and it's so... Like, it lacks brain cells to the extent that you you just want to literally throw your phone in a lake and never never stare at a screen and never see this the internet again. It's... It's just, it's not even that it's so bad, like, it's bad, but it's, like, it's just that it's dumb, to be honest, and I think I explained earlier, like, why it's so dumb. It is just completely swinging the pendulum in the exact opposite direction. It's fighting fire with fire. It's, you know, just like we say, the solution to racism isn't reverse racism, isn't racism against whites. The solution to this ultra-feminine culture is not an ultra-masculine one. It's a balance. And the lack of the total inability to understand that, which I think stems from a lot of things which we're going to get into, and I don't blame most of these men at all, which we're about to get into, but it just is a little bit frustrating. Okay, but basically, we're going to talk about why I think the red pill manosphere has become a thing. And just just need to mention one thing. People, I feel like, say, like, oh, I'm a red-pilled, like someone who, like, once was liberal and then becomes conservative. A lot of times they'll say they're red-pilled because, like, blue is liberal, Red is conservative. I hear that sometimes. That's not what this is. This is not becoming conservative. We don't, conservatives, we don't claim them. I don't claim these people. And the term actually comes from a, not from red being conservative. It comes from something else, which we're going to get into in a minute. So let's talk about what happened that, what happened. And again, I kind of referenced it earlier. It's this ultra feminine culture. Um, but I think we're going to talk about it a little bit more. Okay. So if you look at society today, in the past 5-10 years, men receive so much hate, right? They're told their masculine traits make them toxic, and I know people are going to say, no, we're just saying that masculinity can be toxic, we're not saying masculinity is toxic, and to that I say, but when all the examples you give are men suppressing everything that makes them a man, then yeah, you kind of are implying that traditional men are toxic, kind of like when you say that men should not be aggressive at all instead of maybe let's channel that into healthy things you kind of are saying that men's natural proclivities toward aggression are bad instead of tools to be channeled properly so I'm just putting that out there okay they're told to shut up and let women speak right they're said you're part of the problem the patriarchy you know the patriarchy is to blame feminists like we'll say we'll say not all men because yeah not all men and the feminists will roll their eyes and say you're just avoiding the problem but no we're standing up for men we male privilege is a term that's thrown around a lot people think that just because you're a man you're born with some privileges that women are not born with and those you cannot shake and you well 
always carry on you as, you know, part of this kind of weight that you feel you are guilty of. It's a horrible way of teaching, talking to young boys. Rape culture. It's just, that that one frustrates me a lot because it's like, have we made no progress looking at this part of the world compared to other parts of the world, looking at this time in history compared to other times in history, you're still just complaining about, yes, a genuine issue that is not a culture of violence. No, it's not. And the funny thing is, the funny, here's what I think. I'm getting a lot of sidetrack, like going to get very sidetracked here, but um, I just find this so funny because there's a rape culture until you start talking about allowing trans women biological men into into women's spaces and then why and then it's like oh there's no problem with that you know until you say that maybe there is a sex trafficking problem in this country especially when it pertains to children and then it's a conspiracy theory but when it's just straight white men then yeah there's a rape culture but like when it comes to like a black man or when it comes to like a trans woman and I'm not saying trans women are violent, but I am saying that there have been instances of men abusing that title. Then there's, then no, it's, we're just being bigoted. So I just thought I'd put that out there. Um, anyways, we're demonizing all men for the flaws of few, right? Or we're putting privilege onto all men that only a few have. And I think it's just such a toxic culture around being a man today. Men are told just to either be feminine you know, to just push down all their natural tendencies or to just keep their mouth shut. And if they don't do that, they are not good or virtuous. And I think because I think there's a lot of reasons men are falling behind, but I think you have to admit that this just this movement, this anti-man, this frankly misandrous movement, because that's, let's be real, that's what third and fourth of feminism is, is misandry. And I will hear arguments all day against it. You cannot convince me that that's not what it is. At least for many. But anyways, I think partly because of that, men are falling behind. So some stats on that. Um, In 2021, men died by suicide 3.9 times more than women. And one in four black boys repeat a grade. Only 40% of college students are men. Men are falling behind, you know. And I think there's a lot of things you can chalk this up to, but clearly men are struggling in society. The biggest example of how men are struggling in society is that they're lonely. The male loneliness epidemic has been discussed online a lot lately. A lot of videos about it, which we're going to mention in a minute. But And I think one counter-argument, because I, I, like I like to bring up the counter-arguments that I think of, because I think that it's important to under- acknowledge that there are valid arguments on all sides but a lot of people would say well we're telling men not to show emotions so why then when they feel lonely and they feel like they can't tell anyone their emotions then why are we blaming this on the culture around manhood and I think I understand that of course and I think we have to acknowledge that that might play a part but the point I'm making this is gonna I'm gonna talk about in a minute isn't so much because again this is the point of my what I'm saying here I'm not trying to argue today that the culture around manhood has caused men's problem in society. I'm using this as a springboard into my main argument, which is that the lack of sympathy around male issues has led to the rise of this movement, right? 
So for whatever reason, and I think, again, the hate men get is a large part of it. When you're told your entire childhood that you're toxic, that you have to shut up and let women speak, you have to admit that is going to maybe cause some identity issues and some problems later in the future. For, For whatever reason, men are lonely. And I think this loneliness and all these issues men are facing are being totally trivialized and totally bashed, which falls again into this larger idea that we don't care about men as a society. We're bashing them, we're pushing them down, and then when they start to struggle because all we do is bash them and criticize them and say they're toxic and and everything is the patriarchy and everything is oppressive, and then when they start to struggle because of this narrative that's being pushed on them since they're young, then we say, oh, suck it up. So I, I need to give an example of this, but I want to finish another thing I'm saying before so I can end on this point, meaning end this part of this discussion on this point. Another idea that is that men are afraid to approach women. Again, makes sense. If you're telling men they're toxic, hold me to women, leave all women. And I'm not saying that the Me Too movement had no good that came out of it, but I am saying that definitely... The fear of a woman making an allegation against you that is false is certainly driving men to be afraid to approach women. I searched up, are men afraid to approach women? I just want to show you some of these headlines that just come up right just when you search it. First one, 75% of men are too scared to chat up women. A quora, why are men scared to approach women? Why am I afraid to approach women? Final answers to men's fears about approaching women. Why are guys afraid to approach women? Six proven answers. Half of single men avoid interacting with women. Since men have started to be scared, too scared to approach women, that's another one. Five misunderstandings that men have about approaching women. Fear of approaching a lady and how to overcome it. Is it just me or are men afraid to approach women these days? It just goes on and on, right? Men are afraid to approach women. And now we're going to kind of segue a little bit into so all these problems men have, right? So how, how is the left responding to these problems? When men, you know, say, I, 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 I have no one who cares about me, except for, because that was a lot of the comments and what I'm about to read to you. I have no one who cares about me except for my mom. You know, I can't find a girlfriend. I'm too scared to approach everyone. I'm so lonely. I'm struggling in school. I'm falling behind. I'm depressed. So how did the left and the right respond to this? And this is a big reason why we see the rise of the red pill manosphere. Because the right speaks to young men. We don't shame them for their masculine qualities. We don't characterize them as a monolith of predators who participate in a system that oppresses women. We say you don't have to act like a woman to be accepted. It's okay to be masculine. And of course, we teach them how to channel that. Good conservatives teach young men how to channel those masculine qualities into healthy outlets that will be beneficial for their families and for society as a whole. The left just shames them because the left is so blinded by their hatred of men that when men say these things and say they're struggling, we say as conservatives, okay, so let's let's help you solve your problems. You know, why don't you start doing X, Y, and Z? It's okay to be a man. It's okay to feel these feelings you're feeling. Don't push them down. And the the left just says you're toxic. And, And the example of this is this video from shoe on head anyone who does not know or follow shoe on head twitter follow fantastic youtube channel fantastic she's i think she's like a socialist i don't actually know her i think she's socialist but like she's not a conservative but so many conservatives appreciate her so much because she is 
real. You know, she talks about the issues and doesn't care if the entire left wants to murder her. She's really just like a free thinker and it's so rare these days. So she made a video, which I'm going to pull up right now. It's called the male, called the male loneliness epidemic. And in this video, she basically reads this tweet from Vosh, who is left wing, totally left, left wing guy awful like just ugh, whatever but he tweeted out something i cannot stress enough how important it is to understand that 12 year old white boys on twitch are not being pulled into fascism because of some machiavellian desire to preserve and expand their privileges it's because the right talks to them and the left doesn't which i mean the language that he used is clearly showing his left-wing bias you know they're not being pulled into fascism I wouldn't call the red pill manosphere fascist. Um, and just some of the language he uses I disagree with. But the idea is 100% correct. These people aren't being pulled into this red pill manosphere. Again, we haven't even talked about what the red pill manosphere movement is. They aren't being radicalized into this ultra-masculine kind of, you know, female-hating sort of space. Because they're like, oh, I'm so strong and I can do whatever I want. And I just, you know, want to expand the privileges that I have. It's because this movement talks to them. And he calls it, like, the right, which I would say is correct. But I would say that there's nothing wrong with men being pulled right. I would say it's when you go too far. That's when we have, when we have problems. But in the left, really doesn't. The left doesn't talk to young men. And then this is, like, the craziest part of the video. So then what she starts to do is she starts to find these other tweets that speak to the same idea. The reason, here's this tweet, and then she reads, basically she reads tweets along these lines and then looks at the responses of the left-wing people to these genuine ideas, right? So, the here's the tweet. The reason young men flock to alt-right MRA movements, MRAs, like men's rights activists, is because the left gives brain-dead advice to young men. We need to be more compassionate to them for our own sake. Perfect, perfectly rational, reasonable right when you see the left bashing men for the past decade and a half or whatever and you think maybe we're losing men and that's a recent study that came out that was discussed on the internet a lot is that high school girls are 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 becoming more left-leaning and high school boys are becoming more right-leaning so there's definitely ground to this idea that the, the left is losing young men and again this tweet is just this is a probably totally left-wing guy probably totally liberal guy Who's just saying, I think the discourse that we are just, the way we're speaking to young men, the way we bash them, and the way we make fun of their issues, is not helping. And then, okay, so here's some of the responses to, it's mind-blowing, the responses that this this tweet got. So here are some of the responses trivializing these issues. LMAO, cry about it, and these are sometimes, some of these, to, are the, to these, this specific tweet, and some are to different tweets expressing the same sentiment. Boo effing who? Oh no, poor little men having problems. Boo effing who. Grow the F up then. Next one we have is... And these are again two different tweets. Some of the ones I read and some of the ones to different. Have men considered being smarter? Next one is... I'm enjoying all these little... These sad little boys and their sad little tweets about their sad pathetic lives. Next one is... It gets worse. You think it was bad? It gets worse. Um, sounds like a personal problem. Next one... Is the lack of compassion for men in the room with us right now? Maybe men are just not good people then. Oh, so compassionate. 
I'm so effing tired of people trying to make male loneliness a huge societal problem. I can't. Oh my god, guys. I'm I'm losing it. Uh, it gets worse. Yeah, no. Their fee-fees are not my responsibility and I shouldn't have to be punished because they can't get their sleep together as human beings. Grow the F up. Again, the compassion for men is overwhelming in these responses and you wonder why men flock to the right. You wonder why these movements come. Okay, but why? Why are we trying to win these entitled little predators over? The left isn't for them. That's why they go right in the first place. We're all lonely and alienated. It's young men going to the alt-right in droves. The problem isn't our messaging, it's them. Oh, so you think that you're just as hard on women as you are on men, liberals? Please, all you do is worship women and bash men. So don't pretend, like, and I, I'm getting frustrated here. Don't pretend, and you literally just proved it. You called them entitled little predators, and you wonder why maybe it's your fault that they don't follow your side <laughs> when you call them entitled little predators. A little, implying that these are young men and children we're talking about. Really compassionate. Next one. It's literally not our problem. We don't need to appeal to incels. Men flock to Andrew Tate not because they're lonely, but because they're bigots. Hope this helps. Oh my... Ah, I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting frustrated. Nah, it's just misogynists being louder than before, not getting laid. LOL. Cry harder, losers. And you wonder why men flock to the right. You wonder, but you talk about them like this. 90% of all homicides recorded worldwide are committed by male perpetrators. We should just get rid of males to be aged. This includes trans women as they still retain male violence. I mean, okay, so I guess she's a turf. Um, but I mean, emphasis on the RF part, um, the radical feminist part. And this was in response to a tweet that said misandry is bad. And, and this is a big thing that comes up, actually. And it actually helps debunk a lot of patriarchal arguments that you know, argue that the patriarchy exists, I guess. Um, and a lot of people say, well, men are this, you know, men are all the leaders and men are this percent in this Congress or this percent in the Fortune 500 companies, whatever. And then also arguments like, well, men are this percent of homicides, things like that. It's like, well, now you're talking about a small percentage of men. Why is some random man responsible for the fact that a lot of other men are this way and that way. That doesn't say anything about him. Doesn't mean that he has privilege in that because he, he's not the CEO of the Fortune 500 company. Doesn't mean that he's a murderer because he's not one of those murderers, even if a lot of them are men. So that's just kind of a frustrating argument that I hear a lot on the left. So just quickly debunking that. But there, it gets worse. Guys, you thought it was bad. Oh, you are in for a treat. And it's you wonder why men flock to the right when the left talks about them like this. When they call them little predators, incels, listen up. Word I'm not going to say. I'm white, socially awkward, autistic, in my 40s, ugly, overweight, crippled, got a weird balding pattern, and have bad skin. You know what I didn't do? Choose to become a fascist because I recognize that most of the sort that look like me are the problem. This guy, first of all, seems miserable. So, I mean, maybe I don't know how he could be so have such a lack of self-awareness that maybe the fact that he's miserable has something to do with the messaging that he's internalized talk about internalized misogyny this sounds like internalized misandry everyone who's like me is the problem well maybe you're not the problem maybe you could be like i'm an individual i'm not gonna be blamed for the actions of other people who happen to share my sex that's just a terrible way of teaching young men to think and they have taught them to think this way and it's so frustrating 
Okay, ready for the worst ones? And this is so frustrating. And I can't imagine if women got this messaging. The uproar. The absolute uproar. And it's, it's, it's so sad to see that young men are getting this. Little boys on the internet are going to be seeing people talking about them like this. Ready? I'm sorry, but how is respect women brain-dead advice? Next one. What advice? Don't rape. And this is, this is, don't be a rapist is bad advice. So, I feel like, I feel like I should stop, but I also feel like I want to read all the ones. Act like a decent effing human being is, it's not hard, is brain-dead advice. Hey brain dead advice like get consent and don't be a nazi and women are people oh and you wonder why men flock to the right when the left is accusing them all of being misogynist rapists weird take here's the actual advice i give to my teen boys as a leftist one always get enthusiastic consent two save the planet three don't say that it's actually kind of racist these stereotypes that are being pushed onto men, that they all are this monolith, this predatory monolith, is the reason they're flocking right. And anyone who argues otherwise has not listened to the past 30 tweets I've read. And there's more where this comes from. These tweets are indicative of the larger culture. There's another awful one. I skipped a few because they were a little bit tangential. What happened to males just kicking the bucket? Now they just come on here and try to make their loneliness and misery into some kind of social justice issue. Well, you guys are the ones who make everything into a social justice issue from... I I can't even think of an example because I'm so angry right now, but everything is about social justice for the left. And when the, the high male suicide rate and the male loneliness epidemic is not a social justice issue, is not something we should be fighting for, and they should just kill themselves instead, good job. That... It's a winner take if I've ever seen one. And I'm getting so fired up right now. And then there were some more tweets talking about how, you know, men created the problem. It's their job to fix it. But I think we, I think, I think I got my point across that men's issues are receiving no sympathy from the, the left. The left has completely a lack of any self-awareness that maybe their rhetoric is causing men to turn to the right. And then they get angry and blame men for that when it's their fault entirely. I think, I think we got the, I think you got the idea though. I think I got my point across. Um, but I highly recommend the video. Um, yeah, again, it's shoe on head instead of, oh, it's a zero for the on. Um, she's got 1.27, 1.72 million subscribers on YouTube. She's just great, funny, accurate. And yeah, I highly recommend the video. And it just encapsulates this idea. Encapsulates this idea. The left does not speak to men. And the left has no sympathy to men. So we wonder when they flock to the right, maybe this is why. Maybe they see no place for themselves on the left. The problem is then they go too far. And here is where we're going to get into the red pill manosphere. Okay, so let's just summarize this before we can move on. So men who feel disenfranchised by this messaging, this messaging that we just saw in those tweets, often move too far in the other direction. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? And that's pretty, pretty understood. The pendulum is starting to swing in the other direction. And I think 
we see this a lot in different cultural issues where once again one side has become so radical and hateful that then the pendulum gets swung in the other direction you know or one issue becomes so large that it starts that people who who want to fight this issue go too far the example if you want to think back to my last episodes or the ones before my last one about the european immigration crisis where i talked about how as a response to this failure to integrate immigrants in europe coming from you know um, middle east and africa and how now a lot of these countries are seeing nationalists you know more far-right parties gain traction and we wonder why but it's not because these people are necessarily nationalists and far-right people but it's because they see they're so frustrated by this complete open door policy that they they swing their the pendulum too hard in the other direction and that's one one reason for it so instead of finding a healthy role model who tells them you know it's okay to be a man things like that essentially it doesn't take much many are going further to the right and they're finding men who are speaking to the way they're feeling but the way they're feeling is frustrated and angry and disenfranchised and men who are speaking to that are not good role models they're the kind of the ones who are kind of blaming women for issues and yeah they're going too far essentially and I really can't blame them just one example of where you see this movement kind of get its roots because it really does like get its roots on the internet on this like weird corner of the internet so there's a reddit thread it's actually like a quarantine but i did not know quarantining reddit that was a thing but apparently like because it's so offensive they quarantined it so i had to like find a special link it took like a good 10 minutes to find this but the red pill is a reddit um not like thread i guess thread's not the right word like a subreddit yeah, it says the community is quarantined. It is dedicated to shocking or highly offensive content. Click to return home. No, I actually kind of like reading it. Um, but a lot of... I'm trying to, like, un- teach you... Show you what this is about. Because a lot of it is, like, fine. A lot of it is men asking about, like, workout routines. And it's definitely a male space, right? And how how to you know pick up girls things like that and it gets a little bit like edgy not in a good way but then there's some that are you kind of see the beginnings of this red pill movement here's one is it hypocritical to sleep with other women but want a monogamous girlfriend uh another one and just kind of a place to spew their frustration because their failure in the dating pool their frustration with their wives because they finally found a community that will speak to them they could not find a community on the left the left any issue they had bashed them made fun of them shunned them and on the right they finally found this community of like-minded people who will rationally not rationally but who they think kind of what they think it's rational can kind of um understand their problems and they can vent you know this is really just a place for men to vent this cute asian girl was an ugly demon underneath the skin and it's kind of just this rhetoric of kind of being frustrated by women but a lot of it is good a lot of it is like don't be average don't accept society's blueprint for your life it's about you know working hard and it's kind of we're going to kind of see this reflection in andrew tate that he gives these good messages same thing that the red pill movement is doing giving these messages about 
working out and working hard and not giving up. But then underneath it all, when you start digging under the surface and you start scrolling through these threads and seeing what's happening on the internet, you kind of start to see the issue with this movement. So here's an example. There's this long Reddit post, which I don't have the patience or the energy to read after the amount of research I've done for this. I'm exhausted, but there's kind of some of the things that are being said on this thread or on on these, you know, types of posts. The one thing men value most in women, loyalty doesn't exist in women. Women's and men's sexual strategies are mutually exclusive. Um, The amount of beta you need for a functioning relationship is vastly overestimated by men. That one's not so bad. Um, We have women enjoy trying to turn the alpha into a beta. So I think what is happening here is men are feeling hurt from, you know, a bad relationship. They're feeling lonely. They're feeling not understood. No one's talking to them. They have nowhere to go to vent. And then they find this movement. They find this group of people online who understand them, you know, who are not left-leaning because the left won't help them. The left will just bash them. And they're kind of becoming radicalized on these threads because they're getting someone to say, yeah, you're right. Women are like this because this person had a bad experience with a woman, you know, and they're becoming radicalized. And it's really just because the left abandoned men. When you abandon someone, they're going to find someone else to they're going to seek refuge in someone else. And these men have have found each other online have created this movement, and have radicalized each other. That's what's happened. And the things they are spreading are a lot of times fine. They're encouraging them to, you know, get your life together and work hard. But there's also a lot of complaining and a lot of blaming women because there's, again, we've been blaming men for the past decade and a half. I've been blaming men for a lot longer than them, but if you're talking about really how long this movement has been going on, we've been blaming men for the past decade. And now we're blaming them when they start blaming women and going too far. Of course, of course, it, it's not justified, but it is understandable. And a lot of it is centered around women because that's a lot of the reason that men are feeling this way is because they feel like these issues they're having are crippling them in life. They're not able to form relationships. They're not able to understand healthy relationships between men and women. They're they're having these relationships. They're being hurt, you know. They're not feeling valued. And they're feeling lonely. And this is what's happening. So now, how can we define this? What is this movement of just weird advice online? How can we define it? So this is called the Red Pill Manosphere. So we're going to get into some articles about this. First one is from The Guardian. I was actually very nervous about these articles because they're from kind of left-leaning sites. And I was nervous. They're just going to be like, yeah, it's just misogynist being misogynist. No root causes here. But they actually were very insightful and honest about the what caused this, which is kind of what I already said, but I think they phrased it very well. And I was very shocked by that. But here's a Guardian article from 2016. So first they describe where the name comes from. The name derives from a scene in the 1990, 90, 1999 film The Matrix, in which Lawrence Fishburne offers Keanu Reeves a choice. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe, You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. The rabbit hole in this case is the reality that women run the world without taking responsibility for it, 
and that their male victims are not permitted to complain. This makes the red pill a continuous, multi-voiced, up-to-the-minute male complaint nestled male complaint nestled at the heart of the so-called manosphere, a network of websites preoccupied with both men's rights movements and how to pick up women. So yeah, just explaining wh- where this happened, they believe they are kind of woken up to the reality of the world. That's where the term red pill comes from, from that movie, from The Matrix, because they b- have felt hurt and disenfranchised and lonely and they're starting to find people to blame because they've been blamed for so long a lot of them are starting to blame women you know because I, I think a lot of the root of these problems is their their, their failure in relationships because they're afraid to approach women they can't keep a girlfriend they're lonely so they start to kind of blame their bad relationships on the nature of women blame it on things like that so this article was great. I think the best part of this article was the end here. Um, so let's just read this quote here. It's kind of long, but I think it was a great nuanced take, which I was, again, not expecting from this article. So here's the end of this article. Again, to return to our conundrum, are we your real selves online or off? And again, the question that it pondered in this article was, are these red pill people actually like real life misogynists or are they just venting online and then he gave the example of like we see these polished totally like feminist celebrities online and all of a sudden they get busted for some have some allegations against them and that are true and then you know these people really end up having a wife and being fine but that's not really what I'm focusing on but um let's just skip a little bit okay among men today, there's violence hidden under the virtue and virtue hidden under the violence. If you dig through the misogyny and the bravado, the boys of the red pill want the one. They are as lost in that pursuit as every generation of men has been before them. The red pill is hatred of women in the context of men who want nothing more than to please women and who are living in a world with the sexual marketplace they find deeply anxiety-provoking. Burfitt's Law, another of the key concepts of the red pill, encapsulates male powerlessness as an eternal truth. The female, not the male, determines all the conditions of the animal family. Where the, where the female can derive no benefit from the association with the male, no such association takes place. But red pillars are responding to a much more novel and contemporary reality than such biological imperatives. They are responding to women having financial and sexual power over their own lives and bodies, and they haven't dealt with it yet. The term manosphere is really a misnomer. Not quite a manosphere would be better. What the boys of the red pill need, in all honesty, is a massive dose of romantic poetry. They need a dedicated course of treatment in the novels of Jane Austen and Dostoevsky, combined with significant therapy and negative capability. They need to learn that love is awful in both the ancient and modern senses of the word of the world. That love is infinitely more powerful powerful and real than any marketplace, sexual or otherwise. The need to read Freud. Okay, I disagree with that. Who wrote the... Yeah, I disagree with this part. I'm going to skip it. They need to know that desire is a mess and that everyone suffers from its mess. Instead of culture, the world offers the boys of the red pill contempt. Instead of education, outrage. But it's not just the boys of the red pill who need to begin again to learn from the fiasco that is men and women. It's everybody. It's the whole world. What a nuanced take from the Guardian. I'll go hand it to them on that one. But I think we need to discuss what it was actually saying there. 
was these people and these men, like we've discussed earlier, you know, they're dropping out of school, they're killing themselves, they're lonely, they don't know how to approach women, they are lost. And the culture is not helping them. And the culture is saying, well, just don't be, don't rape. Like, like we saw in those tweets, well, have you ever tried not being misogynist? Uh, we don't care about your issues. So instead of being helped and said, you know, look, relationships are messy. We understand the struggles you're feeling. Let's, you know, try to solve these and let's try to help you. They're not getting that. So they're flocking to the only people who seem to be standing up for them. And of course, I think the right is. I don't think we're doing a good enough job, I guess. But they're flocking to the people who seem to be agreeing with them and understanding them. And unfortunately, this this community online, instead of offering them, like it was saying, you know, classic literature. I thought that was a great, you know, little um, throw-in they put there education you know look relationships are messy and we know how you're feeling we sympathize with you we empathize with you and here's how we're going to fix your life which I think the red pill sort of purports to do you know they say get up go to the gym work out but then the red pill also offers outrage you know it says we understand how you're feeling and I also feel it and let's not try to solve our problems let's just wallow in them and I think they kind of purport to solve the problems as well you know, there's different communities within like the manosphere, you know, there's like incels, there's like pickup artists, which are kind of opposites, but they both kind of think they can kind of hack women. They, they understood like the key to women and they like kind of got the hack. They just then react differently to that. But this idea that, yeah, all women are this way. Women are the problem, not society as a whole. And that's kind of, you know, what's being offered as an as as a response to this this these feelings that men have that these men have another article another great one from medium this one is also a little bit older so it talks again about why men get sucked into the red pill it says most young men get sucked into the red pill primarily because of two reasons either struggling with women or they had a prior traumatic dating relationship experience with women. So again, they're struggling. These are men who are lost and the left will not help them. The Red Pill community is a subset of the manosphere. The manosphere is a broader term that encompasses male-centric online communities, forums, and spaces. These would include men's rights activists. Men's rights activists, no problem with that. Great. They're mostly fighting for, I mentioned that in a minute, they're mostly fighting for like fair treatment in divorce proceedings and child custody cases great no problem with that um then we have more problematic ones mgtow which is men going their own way there's a great video by alex clark on that if you want to check it out um dating coaches pickup artists incels and of course red pillars most of the beliefs within the manosphere are somewhat interchangeable except for the mras whose focus is on legal marital issues affecting men okay fine while the manosphere as a whole doesn't explicitly focus on one thing, the red pill is much more hyper-focused on a single concept, and that is an exploration of the gender dynamics between men and women. Sometimes they discuss matters of self-improvement, but even then it's always under the guise of getting or getting back at the women. So we kind of see this focus, which makes sense. Relationships are a very important part of life. These men feel disenfranchised by the, the culture around men and women. So of course makes sense that you know, this, this movement specifically within the manosphere, the red pill movement, is going to kind of hyper-focus on that because that is a lot of the root of what they feel their problems are, not the culture in general. Then here's another quote. Great, great quote. 
The Red Pill purports to provide answers and, more importantly, solutions to all the gripes men have with women. There is no denying that dating and relationship issues are among the most pressing concerns that plague young men. It's only getting worse as social media continues to become more per- pervasive in our daily lives. Certainly doesn't help that men are continuously feeling marginalized and lack positive masculine role models to look up to, especially in popular media. This only drives more impressionable young men to join the Red Pill bandwagon. Hit the nail on their head. Exactly. Precisely. Got to the point. These men are struggling. They cannot find anyone who is speaking to their struggles. They flock to the people who they find finally who understand them. But then, again, these movements are not teaching them the right thing. And they are being misled. And it's very sad. These men are lost. And this is kind of where we're going to kind of get into Andrew Tate finally, 53 minutes in. The leader of these, these movements, like Andrew Tate, they're exploiting these vulnerable men. Two reasons why. Either because they know they can profit off of male misery, right? They know they can profit off of men feeling a certain way. Or because they genuinely believe what they're saying. Andrew Tate is really the tip of the iceberg. He's kind of the gateway drug is kind of what I've decided to call him to this way of thinking. Okay, so now just to kind of bring this a little bit into what you may have seen online in regards to third plans here before we get into Andrew Tate in general, in specific, sorry. So it's a very weird corner of the internet as you probably understood from that Reddit thread that I was kind of reading and these weird ways of thinking where everything is women's fault and they're blaming women for their problems and are very angry and frustrated but every once in a while we'll see like red pill manosphere discourse kind of get into the public conversation and sometimes conservatives get swept up into it because they don't know this ideology that's why it's so important that we as conservatives understand this ideology because it, it looks like conservative conservatism it's a wolf in sheep's clothes is the best way i've thought of being able to describe it it looks like conservatism is not we're going to get into that a little bit later more specifically but it looks like conservatism because they're saying things that are true and they are just extrapolating and taking them way too far but they understand the culture around masculinity they understand how toxic it is and that it's appealing to conservatives right so it's becoming more mainstream and i think it's our job as conservatives to call it out for what it is so for example you might have seen this going around on twitter i saw it like in my corner of the internet this kind of discourse around Margot Robbie with the Barbie movie coming out of Margot Robbie being mid, you know, everyone like mid meaning like not like kind of average looking. That was Red Pill Manosphere discourse, guys. That was where that started. It started with Roel Tomasi. We're going to talk about him in a minute. It started with these Red Pill Manosphere people who kind of blame women for their issues. And one of the things that a lot of these people like to do is kind of be like, you know, like, the this woman, like, everyone thinks she's so attractive, really she's not, we're, you know, and there's a m- variety of different reasons why they would do that, which I don't think I have to get into right now, but that was Red Pill Manosphere talking point, guys. Some conservatives called it out, they said, why are we having this discussion about how attractive a certain woman is, why does it matter? And more importantly, no, it's okay to say she's a beautiful woman, there's nothing wrong with that. Many conservatives called that out for what it was, so... Credit to them because we need to stand up to this BS. But some kind of got swept up in it and they said, yeah, she is mid. And it's like, why are we engaging in this silly conversation about whether a certain objectively beautiful movie star is mid or not? 
why are we engaging in their discourse? They, their whole thing is kind of about hacking women and saying, oh, she's really thinks she can manipulate us because she's so beautiful and we're going to go watch her movie. But no, we're not going to fall for that trap. She's not actually that pretty. Right. And a lot of conservatives fell for that argument. And it's like, it's okay to say she's pretty. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think Candace Owens kind of got swept up in it. We're obviously going to talk about her later with her Andrew Tate interview. But it's just a little bit weird. Um, also, Pearl Davis has kind of gotten a little bit of a mainstream following. She's kind of like the female Andrew Tate. She's like the female member of the Red Hill Manosphere. She's very much like kind of, I don't know, like I don't think she hates herself, but I think she's kind of weird, like doing it for views. Like she like says things like repeal the 19th Amendment and she says things like um, women are this way. And like very much like you would think she was a man if you didn't know what she looked like very weird we, some people get swept up into it and 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 kind of are attracted to this because she says some true things same thing with some of these are their arguments that get into the mainstream but again it's our job to be like this is not conservatism there's no reason for us to be having this discussion right now no reason for us to be pitting men and women against each other and pushing down women because that's not the way conservatives think we're gonna get into that at the very end but Anyways, now it's time to talk about Andrew Tate, because he is the, the head, not the head, he is the, when you think of this movement, if you were to look it up, this way of thinking is very much what Andrew Tate subscribes to, okay? So a brief history of Andrew Tate, he was very big in the UK for a long time, he got kicked off of Big Brother for like hitting, hitting a woman with a belt. I think it was consensual. Again, doesn't mean it was right. <laughs> um, yeah, he had like a boxing career. He suddenly blew up basically around 2020. Totally just blew up. Everyone was talking about him. His clips were going viral everywhere. Just to get, give you an idea of how influential um, Andrew Tate is, here's the Google trends from 2022, the search trends. He said he's the most Googled man in the world. I couldn't find any evidence of that, but I did find that of the people who were Googled, he was number eight. So in 2022, he was the eighth most Googled person. And the who is trends on Twitter for, on Google for 2022, um, number one was who is Andrew Tate. So I guess that's where he got it from. He was number one when people looked up who is, they looked up who he was because he was obviously growing you know no one's gonna look let's look up the number one person search Johnny Depp no one's looking up who is Johnny Depp everyone knows who Johnny Depp is so but I guess he could say he's the most googled in that he's the most googled person who people actually had to look up who he was because he was new on the scene so he has influence so when anyone says why are you talking about this this is silly why are you an hour into talking about one man even though I haven't really talked about him until now he has influence he's important you know whether you like him or not and what makes him so attractive? Because when you think about this movement, this movement has been around for a while. People have been thinking this way for a while. What makes Andrew Tate specifically attractive? Because think about other figures like Roel Tomasi. I think his real name is like George and I kind of want to call him George just because I feel like that would make him really angry. Um, so I think we'll call him George. Um, he is kind of like a weird, like you've heard of like the rational male. That's him. It's like a weird, like, kind of, like, misogynist kind of, like, jerk. But, like, he's kind of another one of these people in this movement. 
And I think the reason Andrew Tate kind of broke out of this niche, because this is a niche online, the way Andrew Tate broke into the mainstream happened for a few reasons. But let's talk about the reason why a lot of these Red Manister people could not. These people are weird. They sit in like their weird streamer headphones in a corner with like their weird glasses and they just complain about women for two hours. They don't really know how to talk. They sound not confident. They sound overconfident or, you know, I mean, it sounds overconfident, but they sound like they're compensating. These men sound like they have miserable lives and they're just not attractive. They're not mainstream for that reason. You know, if you, George, I'm just going to keep calling him George, um, but if you want to look him up, I mean, it's kind of funny, um, but all he does is basically make up lies about conservative women who he thinks are feminists. Like, it's kind of funny, to be honest, like Lauren Southern, Michaela Peterson, Brittany Venti, people like that. And he's just like any lie he cares about them, he believes to the point where these women were starting to make up lies and send him emails from you know they made new email accounts and would send him emails being like I heard this about Lauren Southern like Lauren would send an, her email being like I heard this x y and z here's the proof but she had made it all up and was just to see if he would fall for it he fell for all of them just kind of like a weird like sexist kind of like gross like you know it's weird and he just like complains about them and calls them all feminists because he doesn't like them and just is very like weird so people like that are going to have their niche, but they're never going to break into the mainstream. The reason Andrew Tate broke into the mainstream is because Andrew Tate is different. His way of speaking is different. He kind of, he's like British, like, and he definitely like speak, like, he doesn't have a British accent, but if you've ever noticed, he doesn't speak with T's, like he takes T out of anything. So I'm trying to think of an example, but any word with a T in it. He just kind of removes the T. So he has no British accent except for that. I think, I mean, obviously British people do sound smarter. There's definitely a basis for that. So I think maybe the way that he speaks and the kind of his weird kind of accent makes him sound more intelligent and confident. Also, he's a very dramatic way of formatting sentences. He's very charismatic. You know, he's strong in what he says and he is bold and he says something and he doesn't back down. When he tweets, or he also had this email list, which was also really weird. Um, and, like, every sentence is a new paragraph. So, it's, like, very dramatic, very to the point, very, I'm confident, I'm not backing down. That's kind of attractive to some people. It's also mainstream, right? He doesn't look creepy. He's not, like, Royal Tomasi. He's not like George, who's a random weird streamer online, who just complains and tells people to read his five books and says that he is the smartest person, but all he's really doing is knocking on female conservatives and calling them feminists because he doesn't like women, even though he's married and has a daughter, which is weird. But he's never going to break into the mainstream. Andrew Tate knows what to say. He knows how to form in his sentences. He's successful. He's rich. He's, I don't know if I'm going to call him smart. I would say he's manipulative, but I wouldn't know if I would say he's brilliant in the sense that I like to say brilliant people I like to think of people who actually are you know insightful and have interesting things to say about the culture beyond surface level people like Jordan Peterson I would say he's smart and that he knows how to manipulate people but he knows how to present himself he knows what to say he knows how to say it he knows what's attractive he's successful he's not again some weird streamer guy with a beanie and glasses sitting in a chair reading fake emails that are claiming weird things about conservative women and falling for pranks. 
you know, he's doesn't he's not like that. So that's why he's popular. He's so popular and he's broken onto the mainstream so much that he's fooled actual conservatives. And I think I'm trying to think of the reason why he's been able to fool conservatives. And I kind of discussed this a little bit earlier, but let's talk about it again. Number one, these clips that are went viral online of, you know, him saying this is men versus women and masculinity and blah, blah, I have to work hard. They're always short clips, nice music behind them, speaking confidently. You know, you don't have to listen to him for an hour to find him. You know, he didn't blow up from doing five-hour-long podcasts, even though, that's not, even though that's what he's doing now. He blew up from these short clips, and he blew up in the U.S. from these short clips. He can talk of a storm. He knows what to say. He has a response to everything. On first glance, he looks attractive. He, I mean, not, like, he looks conservative. Like, he's attractive to conservatives. There's some clips and some different things I want to mention that I think can help I mean, help us understand just how conservatives have been duped by Andrew Tate before we get into the problem with Andrew Tate, which is going to be the meat of the episode. So, number one. Okay. He appears conservative. So, here's a random tweet from him. There isn't a single societal problem that cannot be fixed by a man, by a man, okay, weird grammar there, by men acting out masculine imperatives and females doing the same. It is the most perfect unison created by God. Hence, the destruction of gender roles is nothing less than satanic. So, kind of hinting on the trans movement there, hinting on gender roles. Great. This is from August. Like, this is from this month. Great. He, he, he knows what to say. He knows how... And you might be thinking, well, what if he actually thinks that SD? Well, we're obviously going to disprove that in this video. He says true things. You know, he's not, he's not wrong in a lot of things. I mean, he's wrong in a lot of things, but there's some things that he's right on. And because of that, he's kind of tricked conservatives into thinking he's a regular conservative commentator remember those um that picture where trudeau post posed with his son going to see barbie and they're like super like feminine weird soy boy looking so he said i've never seen there's another world reader who also posted going to see barbie and he says i've never seen western world readers speak about going to the movies before However, the Satanists demand that you publicly sacrifice any remnant of masculinity to the homosexual mafia. The overlords want your soul. They also want you to tell the world that they own you. So again, great talking about things conservatives care about. You know, this homosexual agenda, feminizing men. Great. Seems conservative. Everything he's saying seems right. He says what people want to hear, right? It, it, it's, he's attractive for that reason. He also does give some good advice. He seems attractive. Here's some good advice. Let me pull this up. Some good advice that, genuine good advice that he gave that makes him seem conservative and normal, right? He said, care about the things that are within your realm of control. Blink and fix, blink and fix your brain with anything that isn't. Talking about, you know, kind of hinting on the mental health aspect of this, that we have to focus on things that are in our control and not be wallowing in our anxieties and going to therapy for everything. So, conservatives can be, see that and be like, huh, this guy seems legit, right? He's fooling conservatives 1,000%. Here's a Tristan Tate example. And I'm kind of gonna, so there's gonna be some examples I'm gonna bring of Tristan Tate because I think they really have similar, you know, they have similar views even though they're different religions now purportedly, which I'm gonna kind of debunk a little bit, but 
they are kind of in the same way of thinking, right? So there's this tweet from August 8th from him where he puts in quotes, Tate was such a wo- Tristan was such a womanizer, like people, people say about him, which obviously, yeah, he was. And then he said um, in response to that, meeting women is how you achieve this, current mood. And then it's his dad and this guy, are you winning, son? And it's like him smiling with his family, like a drawing of a man smiling with his family saying, yes, dad, I am. So making him seem like, no, I wasn't a womanizer. I just dated a lot. And then I found a woman and I got married and I had a traditional family. Obviously not what happened, but he, they know how to say what they need to say, right? So that is kind of how conservatives have been fooled by him. Now time for the meat of the episode. Problem with Andrew Tate, okay? He diagnoses the illness, and this is what everyone is saying about him correctly saying people like ben shapiro let's be lore. he diagnoses the illness in society when he prescribes the wrong cure what i mean by that he sees the problem with the society that i outlined at the beginning of this episode men are being put down in society his response is men should embrace masculinity and not be ashamed of it and th- this is kind of where people again kind of get drawn in because he, he sees the problem and then he says men should embrace it but then we're going to see how the way he says they should embrace it is actually a bad idea right but so let's just give some examples of how he talks about and you're just going to hear some clips from him here here's some clips about how he talks about men embracing their masculinity and how men are put down in society and how to fight against that and we just see clearly here how he talks to these people just like the Red Pill Manosphere. He talks to these people and he talks to these young men who are disenfranchised and he gives them a solution to their problems. This is why he's popular. Anyone who tells you otherwise is not paying attention. So let's take a listen to some clips expressing that idea where he understands men's feelings about this culture today and he tells them to embrace their masculinity. But then we're going to dig in deeper later and we're going to see how the cure that he gives which on the surface seems fine is actually poison so let's start now if you look at the roles of society i believe men are still doing their job but i don't know if women are doing their job women's job always was procreation to look after the family and to look after the man that's all that they had to do and the man would go out there and risk his life and spend his time building the modern world men are still out here building the modern world but when they come home now the girl's like oh why should i cook for you I think, I think women are failing in their role. I think women are failing. Okay, so whether or not you agree with what was just said there, whether or not you agree with the idea that women are failing in their role, he's speaking to the way a lot of these men feel. That they feel like they're not being valued in society, that their jobs and their the input, they the, the, the value they're adding to society is being discredited and not appreciated. That's the way they feel, regardless of whether or not you think what he said just now was correct. You have to admit, this is how a lot of young men are feeling. They don't feel appreciated. They feel undervalued. And he speak. I can go on and speak a lot of clips where he says that, but a lot of what Andrew Tate says is this is the way men are feeling. And men see that, young men see that, and they're attracted to that. Okay? So then... Let's go on and elaborate on that a little bit. I believe being a man is a blessing because it starts so different. I believe that every man is born without any value at all. I think that the world's never going to think you're important unless you make yourself important. 
I think you get to decide what character you want to be in this movie, which is your life. You can decide if you want to be a comedian or a musician right. or a fighter. You get to decide what you want to be. And if you work hard enough, you can become it. So now he's again speaking to something that is true. Speaking to the way men feel that they are not valued in society. Speaking to the way they feel unimportant. And he's saying, yes, but build yourself up. Great message. There's nothing wrong with what he just said there. He's saying, build yourself up. You get to decide what you are. If this was all the message that he was pushing, I'd have no problem with him. This episode would not be being created right now. No problem. Okay. But I, right now I'm trying to show the good. So then when we dig deeper, we can understand what the problem is. This is great messaging. Saying you are the, the master of your own destiny. You can decide what happens to you. Work hard and you can succeed. But he's speaking to them he's saying you know society is not valuing us you know this is with that clip and with this clip you know this is the way that society is viewing you but you can work hard enough and you can escape this and you can be successful he's speaking to the way young men are feeling and he's inspiring them another way that he inspires them is he makes masculinity seem cool he makes it seem and this is what they're, they're looking for. They feel that their natural masculine instincts are lame or dangerous or evil. And he's saying, no, this is cool and hip and great and natural and healthy. So let's take some, listen to those, some clips of that. At a club, I bought a brand new phone. Some girl knocked the phone out of my hand. I tapped on her shoulder and said, hey, you knocked my phone out of my hand. She turns around and goes, I don't care. It's not my phone. Nah, nah, nah. So running around. So I'm arguing with this girl and then her boyfriend comes in. And then her boyfriend's like, hey, what's the problem? And his two friends come over. Now there's three of them and I'm up against the bar. And then one of them pushes me, so I smack it. So I smack one, smack the other one. Two are out. The other guy grabs me and we start wrestling a bit. And while I'm wrestling with one of the guys, the girl starts trying to hit. Well, I didn't know if it was a girl or a guy. So I'm doing this, I turn and whack and I smack her. I spark her. So I ended up in a court for TBH against a female and grievous bodily harm and broke her jaw and all this stuff. And my defense was, I didn't know who was hitting me. I'm just getting hit. I don't know. Watch the CCTV. I don't know. I got away with it in the end. No, I got away with it. I was innocent. Okay, and I apologize for the like weird cringy music in the background of like half these clips because these are tiktoks that were pulled so i i apologize for the cringy music believe me i'm cringing out just as much as all of you but so let's pretend the story is true i don't know if it's true or not whatever but okay so you have these men who feel these natural aggressive tendencies these tendencies to you know defend themselves and others nothing wrong with that but they're being told there's something wrong with that and then they have someone like andrew tate come and say no this is cool and good Great, and he's not, like, saying, I just attacked random people. He's saying, no, they hit me. I defended myself. So men hearing that and saying, whoa, I'm actually allowed to defend myself. If someone smacks me, I'm allowed to defend myself against them. If they try to wrestle me, I'm allowed to wrestle them back. I, mean, I don't know if this actually happened. I have no clue. But this notion that it's cool to be masculine, that it's cool to be a man, it's cool to have these traits. There's nothing wrong with them. If someone hits you, there's nothing wrong with defending yourself against them. That's great. That's attractive messaging to people, attractive messaging to men. And then what he kind of then teaches, which also we're still in the realm of this is totally kind of fine, is then he says, okay, you want to be like that too? You want to learn how to use your masculinity for good? And he teaches them how to do that. So let's listen to some clips of that. If someone asked me to define masculinity, I would define it as feeling a certain way and doing the opposite or ignoring how you feel. It doesn't matter how I feel about the gym. It doesn't matter if I feel like going to work. None of that's important. I do what I'm supposed to. Having duty, having honor, and performing regardless of how you feel. That's the whole point of being a man in the first place. Okay, so what he's saying here is also good messaging. He's saying, 
you want to, you know, be a strong man because that's what these men want. They're lonely and they're sad and they feel helpless in their lives. And someone like Andrew Tate comes up and says, these feelings you're feeling are valid and you can embrace them for good. And we're going to, again, get into what the problem with this messaging is in a minute, which is going to be the rest of the episode. But this part is great messaging for young men. This is what they need to hear. Someone who encourages them, right? Someone who says, this is what masculinity is. You want to be that cool guy who can defend yourself and others when you get beat up. You want to be that guy great this is how you do it here's another example of that cannot give up most of you are happy to be losers part-time you want to escape you don't want to be a loser anymore but then that new video game comes out i'll just play the video game i'll just be a loser for two more weeks then i'll get back to trying to escape the matrix it doesn't work that way because you jump in and out of complacency from i'm happy to be a loser and do loser things to i can't be a loser anymore when you jump in and out you never get momentum cannot quit you cannot give up you need that momentum to break free when a rocket is flying out towards the moon to escape the atmosphere it doesn't fucking pause halfway up the sky does it no it keeps going we're finally in the right place at the right time you are the only person who can make this work and you're also the only person who can this up okay we see some more messaging in that one so let's listen to another more another one you feel like it's supposed to be warning you that your life is something must change and it's supposed to inspire you to push harder i know people who are depressed but it inspires them to push further they're like i don't want this life this i'm getting rid of there's also other people who are depressed who sit there and go depressed i don't know why because you're broke because you're fat nobody told you at any point you're supposed to be happy all of the time you're not supposed to be happy happiness is on top of a mountain and you ain't earned it Okay, let's do one more clip. Have you ever met a guy who's just got covered in muscle, he's got six pack? You're like, hey bro, how'd you do that? You've been going to the gym. Nah, man, it was just an accident. Oops. No, he built that body purposefully. He ate a specific way. He trained a specific amount. He knew exactly what he was doing. Every rich person knows exactly what they're doing. You're sitting there saying, I want to be rich. You don't even have a plan to get rich. How the f are you going to get rich on accident? How's that going to happen? Oops, I'm a millionaire. Okay, so what we've heard in all of these messages is kind of similar. It, heard in all these clips is kind of similar messages, right? I understand where you're coming from. And, and he it's kind of more implicit in the clips, but there's other clips where he said it more explicitly. But, you know, this is the way society views men. And he said that, again, in different settings. And in reality, masculinity is great. There's nothing wrong with being a man. Men did X, Y, and Z this is your job in society, it's cool to be a man, you want to be like me, you want to be cool like me, here's how you do it. You work hard and you don't give up, etc, etc. Nothing wrong with that messaging. That is great messaging and most importantly, that is attractive messaging. So anyone who on the left says, I don't understand why Andrew Tate is attractive, I don't understand why young men flock to Andrew Tate, I don't understand... I don't understand why the left is losing so many young men and they're flocking to the right. This is why. This messaging. Telling them they can embrace their masculinity and not be ashamed of it. It's as simple as that. Simple as that. So now you're probably wondering, well, what's what's the problem with Andrew Tate then? This seems like great messaging for young men, better than any messaging they're getting from anyone else or most other people. So what's the problem? The answer comes down to kind of a philosophical point, but I don't mean say that in a way to trivialize it, that it's an incredibly important and fundamental philosophical point that when people listen to Andrew Tate, 
the messaging they are getting is problematic and they they get that philosophical point right they they're even if they don't realize this is the messaging they're getting they're getting this messaging so what is this messaging that is so problematic so let's get into it I'm gonna try to summarize the problem in one sentence but really it can't really be accurately summarized but I'm gonna try and then we're gonna elaborate okay Andrew Tate thinks masculinity is good because it gets good results and he uses it for his benefit okay that is the and I'm getting into the you know pimp problematic possible sex trafficker stuff not really the sex trafficker stuff I'm not really commenting on the legal side but we're gonna get into all the the actual immoral disgusting stuff in about five minutes but or maybe more than that um but my point is that even in this messaging these implicit themes are brought up these implicit harmful themes are brought up even before we get into the problematic pimp stuff okay which we're gonna get into soon but I think the best way I can explain this is there was an Andrew uh not an Andrew Tate yeah no not an Andrew Tate um a Ben Shapiro better role model for young men if you ask me um um was maybe exciting because he doesn't have fancy sport cars and and things like that, even though I think Daily Wire is trying, which is very important. But anyways, there's a uh, Ben Shapiro podcast where he talks about, th- there's this viral Andrew Tate clip, and he's responding to it. So what Ben Shapiro essentially says about Andrew Tate is he removes teleology from all of these ideas, from masculinity and relationships, intimacy, all these things, and he focuses on secondary gain brilliant analysis that he gets from these just a couple clips of Andrew Tate shows that this Andrew Tate is pretty easily I guess debunkable if you really analyze what he's saying and you take it to his logical conclusions so the clip that went viral that he was responding to was there was this very like bizarre and this response that it has to do with teleology kind of explains why it's so bizarre. This bizarre clip of Andrew Tate where he basically asks, poses a question to his audience. It's so weird. He says, would you rather sleep with a trans woman, but they're a genuine 10, he calls legitimate. And this is why I think he's so, one of the reasons people flock to him, he sounds like he knows what he's saying. Legitimate. Like he hardens his sounds. He's this nice tone. This is why I think one of the reasons why people are implicitly attracted to him. Okay, he says, this person is a legitimate 10. Or would you rather sleep with a biological woman? So, aka a woman. But they're a one. And then people in the comments, you know, most of his audience is pretty right-leaning on social issues. And they say, obviously, the real woman because I'm not gay, etc., etc. And then he makes a response video. And he says, I don't think you, like, really, again, this bravado, this loud voice projects, speaks confidently, doesn't stutter. He says, I don't think you understood the question. He says, I'm talking about Megan Fox, but with male anatomy, doesn't use that language, and versus a woman, so female anatomy, but Hulk Hogan, 6'5", mustache, muscles, and he says obviously I would rather sleep with the Megan Fox with male anatomy and he explains you know because he explains why really that's not gay it's actually gay to sleep with the male looking woman 
over the female-looking man because the female-looking man is looks like a woman and is conventionally attractive, etc. And this woman is totally masculine in her appearance. Okay? And I think every rational person, every rational conservative is like, there's something wrong with that, but it's very hard to put your finger on what is so wrong. Like, you can say, well, obviously it's gay and it's weird and it's weird that you're asking this question and you're so fixated on this Andrew Tate, which is a whole other discussion, why he's so fixated on this, which I don't even want to speculate. But besides for that, it's hard to put your finger on exactly why this is so irksome. And Ben Shapiro, I think, really put his finger on it. He says what Andrew Tate is doing is he's removing teleology from intimacy. So he's focusing on the secondary gain of intimacy, which is, you know, the pleasure, you know, it's an attractive woman and the secondary benefits of that. And again, kind of focus on secondary sex characteristics. And he's removing the teleology. I never defined it. Sorry. Is like the purpose for which something was created. He's removing the purpose of the intimacy. And Ben Shapiro explains the purpose of intimacy, not every time, not 100% of the time, but in general, is the bearing of children. Is within the context of a loving marriage for the purpose of bearing children and creating a bond with your spouse. Okay? All of these things. That is the teleology of it. The primary teleology of intimacy is bearing children. Not every time, but in general. So what Ben Shapiro says is when you remove the teleology, when you ignore it and just focus on secondary gain, you're totally, everything you say is going to start to sound really bizarre and sound really kind of like you're, you're trying to get your own benefit out of things without actually hearing about the purpose of it. It starts to sound really weird. And he then plays another clip of Andrew Tate, where Andrew Tate talks about how, you know, the woman is given over to the man in marriage, and she, her father walks down the aisle, and she takes on the husband's name, which, again, when you look at that in the teleological context, it's great. It's in the context of a loving marriage where the man is going to risk his life for her, you know, she takes on his name, but he's risking his life for her. And if someone breaks into the house, he's the one. And, but and Andrew Tate says this, but he doesn't actually advocate for traditional marriage, which is kind of weird. Um, but when you, in that context, it's beautiful and it's great. But when you remove the teleology from that, it just seems weird and possessive and creepy. And it sounds like he wants to own women is, is a misogynist, right? And Ben Shapiro says, really what you end up getting with removing the teleologies, you're either going to get fetishism, this fetishistic way of viewing things, which is kind of like the trans stuff where it's kind of about this weird fetish because there's nothing, there's nothing deeper. There's no uh, kind of deeper meaning to it. It's just weird. Or you're going to get something that sounds very misogynist, like a woman being handed off to a man without any teleology, any purpose of that. And I thought this was brilliant because this way of thinking Andrew Tate's way of thinking where it's not about the purpose of anything and it's just about how I can benefit and what it does for me. He's all about utility, all about how this can benefit him. Real conservatism is not about utility. It is about the higher purpose. We don't do things because they get good results. We do things because they are right and they are good and they are moral. They get us good results because morality often is rewarded and often is the key to success. But it's not about the success. We do the right thing because it is the right thing. It's not about our personal benefit. 
right? So a man being intimate with a trans woman, even if this person is conventionally attractive and this person will get some kind of benefit out of it, Andrew Tate would argue that is best because, again, you want to get, you want to use these traditional things that seem traditional but really are not traditional because you want to just focus on the, the, the image of it and use that for your own benefit. And conservatism says no. It's not about the result, the way you feel about it. It is about what is objectively good and moral and right because of the teleology, because of this teleological aspect of it. So when I heard that, that pretty much opened up the entire, everything made sense. It was a brilliant analysis, I thought. And I highly recommend you go listen to it. Maybe I'll link it, but I probably will forget because <laughs> I have a lot of recommendations at the end. So stay tuned to the end. I have some fantastic recommendations that I'm going to link. But I thought that opened up this entire new way of analyzing everything Andrew Tate says. Because when you think about everything he says and bring it to its logical conclusion, and he brings it to its logical conclusion, listening to other clips that he's said, you start to see the problem with his way of thinking beyond all the pimp stuff which we're going to get into in a few minutes but Tate demonstrates this kind of pleasure-based benefit you know self self-gratifying way of thinking in everything he does right so one example he's always saying the right thing and we're going to get into that when we talk about the new Candace interview but kind of him remaking his image it's all about I'm going to say the right thing to keep me out of trouble because it's not about the actual meaning of it. It's not about what I actually care, if I care or not. It's about how I can get the best outcome for myself. And I think by acting a certain way, regardless of if it reflects my life or not, I can, you know, in this new Candace Owens interview we're going to talk about, he speaks out against porn, but shows no remorse for running a porn business himself, right? So it's not about the deeper meaning and he's not going to talk about the problem with porn and just he's just about just about you know what I know I have to say this to get the best result for me because if I don't don't add up to this conservatives are going to realize I'm a fraud right that's one example and I think when we look at some things Andrew Shade has said and we analyze them in this new light we can start to understand the problem with him so let's do that okay so I'm going to start and read a tweet from him so and this one I think perfectly encapsulates this and you can apply this to anything he says really Okay, so let's read it. Lust is a sin. Why? Because it distracts you from what's important. I have 10,000 messages from gorgeous women begging to see me. Why? Because I'm the best man alive. Plus, they want clout. It's a sin for me to even look at them or their messages. I'm busy. Okay, so this is kind of weird because, like, we haven't gotten into the part of the episode where I explain why he's doing a rebrand and pretending that he is perfectly moral and... And that what he did wasn't so bad and pretending he's not, like, a pimp, whatever. It's fine. But um, ignoring the weird part of that, let's just focus on that first part. Lust is a sin. Why? Because it distracts you from what is important. This fundamentally explains the problem with Andrew Tate. Beyond his his moral, immoral, gross behavior, which we're going to get into explains the problem with the, the things that he says that seem good, okay? Lust is a sin. Why is lust a sin? Anyone religious would, who really, you know, understands theology would say it's a sin because God said it's a sin. It's a sin because we have a moral system of right and wrong that is 
objective, not based on your feelings, not based on what you think, not based on your circumstances, which we're going to touch on a little bit later on his moral relativism piece. But it's wrong because it's wrong. It's wrong because sin is evil. Not because you think it distracts you. Sure, sin does distract you, and that's why the system that we have in religions where, you know, God, I mean, I'm Jewish, but obviously everyone kind of thinks this way about their religion. You know, they're meant to make you have the best life possible by living without sin and working on yourself constantly. But the point being that that's not the purpose. Just like, even though you get secondary benefit out of sleeping with a trans woman that's not the purpose of intimacy and therefore by removing that purpose and removing that teleology what you're saying is completely wrong and completely inaccurate and completely not moral and not correct lust is not a sin because it distracts you lust is a sin because it is a sin because it is wrong to be lustful so that kind of just shows it's all about how i can benefit it distracts me Therefore, I'm going to stay away from it because that will make me have a better life. No, it's not about you. It's about it being wrong. So that's one example and you can apply that to anything really. His materialistic thing where he's buying, you know, a 1.6 million euro Ferrari, which was another clip. Um, and it's just, why are you buying it? Yeah, because you enjoy it. But no, is it good because it makes you happy and therefore makes you have a better life? Or is it just because you want it? because you're materialistic and you're not materialistic for the sake of supporting your family you don't have a family maybe he has kids from different women but he's not a traditional family man um it's not because you want and he like says reasons why he has a lot of money and that are fine whatever but it's not for any moral reason it's just it's not for any good purpose it's not i i'm making making money so one day i can have a traditional family and support them it's because it makes me happy and i want it and i'm gonna buy as many cars as i want and then the counter argument would be well he also gives to charity great he gives to charity that's not my point <sighs> sure brags a lot about how he gives charity and says he's gonna save the world he says i'm the best man alive he's arrogant it, it, that's really the best way to encapsulate this idea is this 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 two sentence and again he breaks up every sentence is a new line of his tweet which i mentioned at the beginning the rhetorical effect that that has um lust is a sin or the effect that, that rhetorical strategy has lust is a sin why because it distracts you from what is important that is the problem with andrew tate that before we get into his personal stuff, which are even worse, this is the problem with his purportedly good messages. It's all about how I, as an individual, can benefit from something, not about being it, being, it being objectively right or wrong. Removing the teleology destroys every every message he's trying to to articulate. If you want to see the ultimate example of this, listen to this clip. You think it's possible for a man to to be loyal to one girl? I think it's possible for men to do lots of things. Sure, we can go to the moon. We can blow it at one girl. We can go scuba diving if you want to. I don't think that if men were truly honest with themselves that they want to be, I think men are loyal to a woman to try and inspire loyalty out of her. A man will sit there and go, I only want to be with her. But really what they're saying is, I only want her to be with me, which is a masculine imperative and it's natural and I completely understand that every man's the same. But if you could make a woman be loyal to you while not being loyal to her, then you would not be loyal to her. 
if a man's truly honest and says, if I can press this button and she's loyal to me no matter what I do, am I still going to only be with her? Now, you might prefer her. You might spend 99% of your time with her, etc. Completely get that. But on a long enough time frame for the rest of your human life, if she's going to be loyal to you regardless, are you telling me that with a, without any kind of backlash from her, without the chance of her cheating, without you're going to tell me for the next 50 years you're not going to anything ever once if she let you why not like you know what i mean yeah i mean i, I feel like everyone would agree to that everyone but would agree to it right so it's different for men and women is what it's completely different for men yeah. and women and it's also different because a lot of people misunderstand what i say it's different for men of a certain status right if you if you're a man who has together at a certain level of status you can say to a woman look i love you with all my heart i want to be with you i'm going to take care of you but you're not gonna tell me what to do i'm in charge because this is my life you're on the tape train and we're, we're headed to success station i'm the one driving it and if you're going to be on my train, certain things are going to happen. Okay, so according to conservatives, you're loyal to your wife because loyalty is a virtue. One ought to be loyal to his spouse to whom he has committed. And it's a good, it's moral. It's good. It's the right thing to do. Are there secondary benefits of, yes, you're inspiring loyalty in your wife? Yes. According to Andrew Tate, why are you loyal to your wife? So that she'll be loyal to you. Noticing a theme here? He's saying... You're loyal to your wife so that you get gain out of it. Just like you'll sleep with the trans person so that you'll get gain out of it. Ignoring the purpose of sleeping uh, of sleeping with someone. Ignoring the purpose of intimacy, which is children. Ignoring that teleological aspect of it. The fundamental aspect of it. The only really aspect that, that, that's what, that holds it all together, you know. You're loyal to your wife, but not because it's objectively right and for a good reason, which is what conservatives would argue and what conservatives would push for, but because you get a benefit out of it, of her being loyal to you. But really, at the end of the day, you're in charge and you can do what you want. And if she, if you could guarantee she'd be loyal to you, then you would go sleep with someone else. He doesn't understand that some people actually have values and and even if their wife was guaranteed to be loyal to them no matter what, they would still be loyal to her, not because because they're not doing it to, to inspire loyalty out of her. Even if for some people that's a side benefit, they're doing it because it's the right thing to do because it's moral and virtuous. Loyalty is good, believe it or not. Not because it benefits you, because it's good, objectively speaking. This is wild. But once you start to, like, analyze them from this perspective, it's really interesting, no? So that is the fundamental problem with him. And now let's talk about, I guess, why this is so bad. Who cares if he's wrong? Because this way of thinking makes one come from the perspective of it's all about my personal benefit, right? Masculinity is not so I can better society, so I can take care of my family, even though he mentions all these things, you know, men build society, men protect their families, but he doesn't say that's the purpose. He says that because it's cool, right? Because he talks, tells the stories of knocking, pe knocking people over and hurting people because he's defending himself, blah, blah, blah. But he does not ever say that this is what masculinity is. He gives all these characteristics of it and all these different descriptions of masculinity and what it can do for your life but it's not about what masculinity can do for your life which is why people say yeah he improved my life blah blah, blah. but did he improve your way of thinking is he improving your morals not at all and we're gonna get into why you shouldn't be following him even if he is improving your life in a minute but 
No, because he his way he, he what he is injecting into young men is the idea that masculinity is a tool to be used for your benefit. He's not saying he's attractive because he's not saying reject masculinity, but he's saying use all these things. Everything that you do should be a tool for your own benefit, not because it's objectively right or wrong, because it's for your benefit. And that's a scary path to go down. That's a scary path to go down. And yeah, that's, I think, really the problem with his ideology before we get into the problem with his conduct and behavior. But I just, I think that's an important thing to consider. So now we're going to get into what makes him bad, not what makes him wrong. Now we're getting into what makes him bad, right? What makes him a bad influence, a bad person. Okay, so before we do that, we have to discuss, people give two excuses because all these clips we're going to be playing are going to be pretty old, most of them. I, I, I'm going to, we'll explain all that. But the two excuses that all these clips that are being pulled up, that the Tate brothers are giving for these tapes, for these clips and why they're not bad is because a they are out of context and b they are old out of context and old those are the two arguments given okay so now we're going to debunk those two different two different arguments before we even go so that you know right away those two arguments are debunked and then we're going to get into the actual problem okay so number one out of context so we have a few questions on this one what context makes these things better so let's say andrew tate is discussing how he pimps girls okay that's plain and simple what he says i don't you can misconstrue any way you want as he tries to do in his candace interview laughably i was like laughing i was like this is the dumbest thing there's no way he's fooling people and maybe he is but anyways so what context makes that better The only context I can think of afterward is if he goes, oh, just kidding, I would never do that. Or if he says before, okay, here's how a pimp thinks and then proceeds to explain. He doesn't do that. He is explaining the way he is pimping girls. Okay? So when we say things are out of context, what we, a justifiable way of saying that is if it's an ideological idea, not a description of behavior. So someone says an idea that seems a little wonky when you when you say it without the context. And it's like, ooh, they didn't really mean this. They, it was just pulled out of context. But really, in context of the larger idea, it was fine. An example of this, and this happened to Candace Owens. happens to tons of conservatives. Candace Owens was making a point about why, obviously Hitler, one of the most evil people ever. But what she was saying, she's like, people Hitler wasn't bad because he was a nationalist. He was bad because he wanted to then go murder millions of people and and take over the whole world basically (laughs) and people took that out of context and were like oh she says hitler wasn't bad because he was a nationalist he was only bad because he wanted to conquer other countries so she really is saying hitler is good when you took it out of the context of her larger argument i don't know if it was a good or bad argument i'm not really here to pass judgment on that when you took it out of the larger context it made it seem like she was defending hitler when you listened in context, it was very clear she was not defending Hitler at all. She was just explaining that the reason he was bad was not because he was a nationalist. That there's nothing wrong with being a nationalist. The problem was his actual actions and his global conquest and his murder of millions of people, right? So that's pretty clear. So that is an example of how it was taken out of context. In the context, the idea is fleshed out. And it sounds better. When it comes to describing your behavior... That behavior 
doesn't have any context. That's behavior, right? So no matter what the Tate brothers did before they pimped girls, after they pimped girls, while they are pimping girls, that context does not matter to me. I don't care. You are a pimp. I don't care about the context. So, like, the idea that context makes it better is laughable. It doesn't make any sense. That's just a foolish argument. Perfect example of this is actually with Tristan Tate. So, there was this clip that went viral of Tristan Tate because some clips were going viral of him as well, not just Andrew. And I'm just going to play the clip and then we're going to hear Tristan Tate's response to this clip, this old clip going viral, and then we're going to debunk his response. When you run game like me and meet the women who I meet and roll in the circles I meet, you meet beautiful virgins sometimes. Me, I'll do two or three virgins a year. Now, how do you date a virgin when you're a when you're an ice cold player there is a tactic which i'm going to share with you on how to date a virgin and how to take a girl's virginity now the recipe hasn't changed but the tactics and the implementation has certainly changed be their boyfriend for three months and be in a nice relationship with them that is the recipe i'm sorry guys you want to run into a virgin for the next day don't ask me how. I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. I don't even think it's possible. You have to be their boyfriend for an extended period of time. You then have to take a virginity on the second month anniversary or something along those lines. And I'm going to teach you how to do it while still being in a playboy lifestyle scenario. What you do with your virgin is you turn everything into a date. I need to go have a business lunch with my brother or my friends. I make sure she's there. I Uber her in, I Uber her out. If I have to go for a drive, I make sure she's with me. I go to pick her up, do my drive, drop her off, go back home. If I have to go to a, a club, she's part of my double booking scenario. She's always with me at least three or four times a week, regardless of what I'm doing. I go to a lot of lunches and a lot of dinners. I eat at restaurants a lot. I take her to the restaurant. Nothing about my life has changed. I'm not going out of my way. I'm not making specific time for her. I'm not trying my best to take her on dates and show her a good time. What I'm doing is I'm adding her into my normal everyday life. Now, to me, I'm fucking my girls. I have my girlfriends, my relationships. I'm getting my sex. I'm having my drinks, hanging out with my friends. Nothing has changed in my life apart from there's some quiet girl next to me half the time when I'm out and I would otherwise be alone. But to her, in her mindset, Tristan is my boyfriend. First of all, you. And I mean, this is the lifestyle that the Tate brothers were living. Maybe are still living. I don't know if how much of an act they're putting on and how much they just decided they needed to change to get in conservative circles. I don't know. We're going to get into that later. But regardless, of, this is the life they were living. So, I mean, if you want this to be a role model, go for it. I can't stop you. But okay. So let's, let's get down to it. So what he's saying here is egregious and wrong and despicable and evil of, ta- of finding someone, manipulating that person, making them think that you actually care about them, you actually want a relationship with them, but really your end goal is just to take their virginity and then presumably just kind of discard of them or, I mean, pimp them, which is the other, you know, 
discussion we're going to have later. But obviously this is egregious and wrong and immoral in a million different ways. And also, again, speaks to this lack of, you know, teleological awareness where they're not focused on on the actual purpose of things, the purpose of having a girlfriend, which is, you know, to get to know them and then to marry them and then to sleep with them after, <laughs> wrong order, he's going in the wrong order, and then um, to have children with her, but you care about her. And your purpose is not to take her virginity. Your purpose is to have children with her, but not to be doing it for your own benefit, to be doing it in the context of a loving relationship. Obviously, they completely threw that out all out the window. But anyways, I think we can all just listen to this and hear how this is just wrong in every sense of the word. So now let's listen to, or let's read the tweet that Tristan put out recently where he was kind of debunking this video, which, you know, is pretty old. He's debunking it. So let's... Let's, let's, let's read that. When I was in my 20s, I absolutely was a playboy. I often talked about it, laughed about it, bragged about it. A clip is circulating of me saying probably two or three of the women I'll sleep with per year are virgins. My whole life is under a microscope, and this is what they have found. People grow up. The clip ends with me advising men that if they are dating a virgin, take her on nice dates, be kind, spend a lot of time with her, understand it isn't your choice when you sleep with her, it's her choice, it's important to treat it's born to her, treat her with respect. The bad part finally didn't make the edit. This obsession with cutting tiny clips of things my brother has said and presenting them without context has driven them to now try this with me. I'm not interested in what political pundits or drug-addicted old, old men have to say about my love life, but um, their obsession with us shocks me. I now have children with one of those women I met. Please don't worry about my life hands emoji this was on august 8th of this year okay so many problems with what he just said there so let's start by just reading reread like analyzing this tweet just with what he actually said and then getting into the more fundamental ideas that have to do with it Okay, so the first part's right, right, when he was 20, in his 20s, he absolutely was a playboy, definitely, for sure. Um, the problem is that that's actually not factually correct, that this went on long before his 20s. Let me look up how old he is really quick. Tristan Tate age. He is, give me a second here. Tristan Tate is 35. Um, I have evidence that I'll be sharing, um, that I'll be sharing later in this podcast that at least until 2020 if really if I were I think it's till 2022 there's evidence of him being a playboy so that would make him his early 30s not his 20s um I mean like three years ago at the most so let's just put that aside though but okay fine in his 20s he was a playboy he bragged about it for sure that's what he's doing in this clip obviously okay and then he starts immediately to mischaracterize what was said a clip is circulating of me saying probably two or three of the women I'll sleep with per year are virgins. So you see how that subtle shift in language changes the way you think about this clip? Right? He's taking the focus off of them being virgins and just saying I was a playboy happens to be some of them were virgins. Whatever. What he actually says in the clip is he is going in. He's like, I'm sleeping with two or three per year because I enjoy that hunt you know I enjoy that conquest in a way that was very much how he framed it that's not what he's saying in this tweet here he's just saying yeah like oh I found out oh you happen to be virgin look at that and then treating the same way nicely he treats all other girlfriends and then he says 
And the clip ends with me advising men that if they're dating a virgin, take her on nice dates, be kind, spend a lot of time with her. Not your choice when you sleep with her. But that's okay. That's what you said. But you also said that you're doing all of this just so you can sleep with her. That's basically what you said. You said, you know, you gotta, you gotta take it slow because he says you want to sleep with her after the first date. It's not happening. I don't know how to do it. Implying that his goal is just to get, you know, to sleep with her. And, and he, he's teaching you the method to do that. He's saying you gotta, you know, be nice. Don't take her on dates. He also says, I'm not changing my lifestyle. I'm sleeping with my other girlfriends and I'm doing this and that. She just happens to be there. I'm taking her everywhere. She thinks she's my boyfriend. She's my girlfriend. So add the context that what he just said. He said, take her on nice dates. So pretend you listen to that that clip again. And then at the end it goes, take her on nice dates. Be kind. Spend a lot of time with her. It's not your choice when you sleep with her. Um, Treat her with respect. Does that mitigate what he said before, that the purpose of doing all of those things is to eventually sleep with her? Okay, great. So you're not raping her. That's You made that clear. Great. It's her choice. Amazing. Great. I'm happy. End of podcast. No, absolutely not. That doesn't make what you said better. It makes you manipulative, gross, immoral person. <laughs> you're admitting that your end goal is just to sleep with her. Not to care for her, even though you purport to care for her, as you stated in the clip, just that's what you make her think so that she'll want, she'll feel safe around you and then she'll sleep with you. It's all about your end goal here. It's not about the purpose of any of this relationship. It's just about what you can get out of it. But you see here how the context doesn't make it any better. The context doesn't make, the context doesn't make his actions better because again, adding context to horrible actions doesn't make the actions not horrible. It just means, okay, he did something bad and then he did something good. Or he did something bad and then he tried to justify it. It's not changing what he said before. It's just adding context that really doesn't do anything. I could go on about it. Um, but then he goes on and says, you know, this obsession with just, like, posting these small clips is insane. I think because these small clips say a lot about you, you know. I don't know about you, but there is nothing I have ever said online that would paint me in as horrible a light as the things the Tate brothers have said. So, like, you don't want to be caught a pimp? Then don't admit to pimping women in clips. I'm sorry. It's not that hard. We're going to get into that more with the Andrew Tate um, interview. But I think I got my point across. It's ridiculous. It really is just ridiculous um okay let's move on next okay so the second argument that debunks all these clips quote-unquote debunks these clips we're gonna play in about five ten minutes actually pretty soon is that they're old right they're old so my first and fundamental question is does that make it any better so, in law, we have the idea of a statute of limitations. You know, after a certain number of years, certain crimes, you cannot cannot be prosecuted. Fine. Now, I want to ask everyone, why do we have those statute of limitations? We have them to protect the innocent. We have them because at a, after a certain number of years, certain crimes, it is very, very, very hard to prove. People's memories, you know, witnesses' memories have degraded to a certain extent. 
yeah, they're just hard to prove. The evidence isn't there at that point. So even it's not we're not saying this is now justified because, oh, like you did this horrible crime five years ago and now such limitations has passed. So it's not horrible anymore. No, it's still horrible. But we don't think we can give you a fair trial now. So that is why we are going to let you off. Doesn't mean what you did was not terrible. It still was terrible. Right. So. Again, the idea of a statute of limitations is not saying there is a exp- there's an expiration date on your crime, that your crime is no longer bad. If you do something terrible and you never repent, that is bad forever. It doesn't just go away after a little. In, cri- in law, we, we use this idea to protect people who may be falsely accused or who are innocent, right? That's the idea. It's not to say that those who are guilty are no longer guilty, right? But... But if we're religious people and we're moral people, we believe in a moral higher system, right? Then there's no statute of limitations because, I mean, God or the universe, whoever you want to say, God doesn't forget. His memory doesn't, you know, fall apart eventually. His evidence doesn't get degraded. He, he knows exactly what you did just as well as he knew back then. There's no statute of limitations. If you don't repent, you don't repent. <laughs> So that brings us into this point, is that repentance is always possible, right? If you do something terrible and you repent and you feel bad and you you apologize and you really work on yourself, then you you've you've helped fix it. You've you've become a better person, right? But in order to do that, there are a few steps. You have to understand that what you did is bad, and you have to take time work on yourself, and complete overcome this moral challenge you are facing, become a better person, and regret it, apologize, all these steps are involved. The Tate brothers did none of that. They never apologized. They think it's not that bad. We're going to play a bunch of clips throughout the rest of this episode. They're going to prove that. Michael Knowles mentioned this on his podcast, which was great. And he, you know, talks about repentance. He says, you know, I have no problem with someone saying this is a 10-year-old clip. I'm a totally different person. I have really changed my ways. He says, okay, they say it's a 10-year-old clip, but they don't say, I mean, they say I've changed my ways, but they don't say I feel bad for what I did. I really apologize. You know, I understand the gravity of what I did. And we're going to talk about that in, in context of the pimping and everything else, but what one fundamental point that Michael Knowles says is these people were totally just grifters. I mean, he didn't use that word, but basically they just one day decided that this image was coming back to bite them and they just said, okay, we're these new people. If you really repented, you know, you take time away, you self-reflect, you really think about what you've done, you really learn the harm you've caused and you, you really understand it. And you come back, you're humble. That's a big one, being humble not being arrogant and proud, you know, like they are, and you, you come back and you say, I was terrible, I did these terrible things, I took time, I regret them, I took time away, here are the ways I have changed my life, here are the things I have learned, I'm sorry to the people I hurt, they say they never hurt anyone, that is false, I'm sorry to the people I hurt, In X, Y, and Z ways, I'm committed to becoming a better person. I'm committed to working on myself. And I'm not going to preach these new values and live by them. Okay? 
The two brothers did none of that. The most they did was say these are old clips and we're different now. That was it. And I think it's just important to add that a lot of times we think this is kind of a woke idea that, you know, someone gets caught for something they did a long time ago with an old tweet or an old clip and they come back groveling and they're like, I've worked on myself. I'm committed to educating myself. This isn't woke. This is about sin. This isn't one time 10 years ago I said something that today is now considered offensive, but 10 years ago it was really fine. 10 years ago I made I made a joke about trans people because back then we understood how ridiculous it is. And now I feel bad, so now I need to grovel and say I'm going to educate myself. No, because you didn't do anything wrong, right? If you genuinely did something wrong, it isn't woke to apologize. Maybe this is controversial, I don't know. If you genuinely made a mistake and you apologize, that's not woke. It is woke to appease the mob with every tiny thing they disagree with. No, this is you have committed years of terrible sins, which we're going to get into. And you just think you can completely brush it brush it off no that's not how it works so i'm gonna play some clips that prove which we're gonna discuss this a lot more you know the lack of remorse but i'm going to play a couple clips um that help show that they really haven't changed so let's take a listen I'm a little bit embarrassed about it, to be honest with you, because it was 10 years ago and I was talking about women and dating and things in a way that I wouldn't talk about them anymore. I just think all that's kind of crass and it's below me and I don't really like talking about it. And I'm certainly not proud of the video. I am unhappy those videos exist. I wish I never made them, but I won't say that I'm sorry because at the time I did the best I knew how to do. It was just very brash, very arrogant, very bad delivery, which I regret. Okay, so that's a clip from the Candace Owens interview, which we're going to go over in depth later. But um, that was already just a clip that I had found before I wasn't doing the interview. And then I went back and listened. And, yep, it's just as bad as it sounds. He, the only thing he's kind of regretting is he's regretting the way the clips sound now. Which, back to this idea. It's all about his personal benefit, not about anything objective and moral, right? about how I benefit. Now I see these clips are not benefiting me anymore. You used to make me seem cool. Now they make me seem like a pimp, which I am. And now I regret them because the delivery was bad. I talked about things that I would, wouldn't normally talk about them today. Meaning, you know, he regrets the way he spoke about them. He never says I, he never says sorry. He doesn't feel bad that he was a pimp because he, quote, did the best he could at the time, which is such BS. It's such moral relativist BS. You don't get to say that sin is okay because you're in a bad situation. You can say, I recognize that I struggled and that this was why I fell into sin. doesn't make the sin you did right. But, yeah, that's, he's not sorry. He does not say he's sorry. He does not, he says he regrets it, but the only things he's saying he regrets is the language he used, you know, that it sounds crass. He's talking about things the way he wouldn't talk about them now. He doesn't say, I literally admitted on camera that I was a pimp and I regret that I was a pimp. He says, I regret that I admitted it on camera, essentially. Um, but yeah, he says he's not sorry. Pretty much verbatim. Says he's not sorry. That is wrong. That's bad. Um, he's n n not, not standing by his old clips. But it is embarrassed because they don't reflect the image he likes to portray now. But he's not he's not disowning the actions, which is concerning. Now, listen to, I thought there was another clip. There's just a tweet. So we're going to read this tweet. Uh, so I thought this tweet was something else. I was like, I don't remember having a tweet about this topic. But it's actually a great, even better example than I would have thought. So this is a tweet from July 22nd of this year. It says, GM, good morning, right? 
and it's a video of him and he's hanging out by the pool lots of scantily clad women and there are a few ways to approach this video so a it's old which i don't think it is so if it's old and you're reposting it that means you are still proud of it which means you haven't repented and again this isn't evidence of him pimping this is evidence of him being immoral and promiscuous and not being a good role model for conservatives and for young men and then if this is a new video then i don't understand so you've gone to the point you realize okay like i shouldn't be pimping girls but it's still fine for me to be promiscuous and immoral and then claim i'm a good role model for young conservatives young conservative men so okay so you haven't apologized for the pimping you don't you regret it because of the way it made you look and you claim because of that you're a good role model for young conservative men but at the same time you're still being promiscuous and and immoral in other ways so clearly you haven't really understood what's bad about pimping what's bad about being promiscuous and all of these things I'm not comparing the two. I think pimping is worse. But you haven't really understood it because you're still engaging in immoral behaviors and posting them online. So, and I think that, does that make me a prude? I don't care. I don't care. So, uh, we're just going to go with that. So, that's kind of my opinion on the two, quote, debunk, like, the ways you can debunk these clips. Um, yeah. So, now we're going to do is it's time to get into the clips. Time to get into all the clips that show how Andrew Tate is a bad role model, how he is a bad person, how we should not be following him, etc. Hey guys, it's Editing SD, and I realized that no one wants a four-hour episode and that it's absurdly long, so I've decided to break it into two parts, but I'm already away from my equipment and everything at this point, so I'm just going to let you know with this that this is the end of part one. Definitely go listen to part two. That's where we get into the real, you know, the real problems, but I hope you enjoyed part one. Make sure to, you know, give five stars, like, follow, follow me on Twitter and comment and Instagram. I don't know. Whatever you can do, just that would be great. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye, guys. Thanks for turning right.